0: Welcome to the RMD podcast from Reverse Mortgage Daily, hosted by RMD editor, Chris Clough. In this episode, Klaus sits down with Jesse Allen, the executive vice president of alternative distribution at American Advisors Group, or AAG. As the reverse mortgage market leader in the United States, AAG is driving the majority of industry activity, but also has its eyes set on the future. In this interview, Alan discusses recent initiatives and partnerships, as well as how the company aims to position its loan officers for success. Thank you for listening, and here's the latest episode of RMD.
1: Welcome back to the RMD Podcast. I am very pleased to be joined by the Executive Vice President of Alternative Distribution for American Advisors Group, Mr. Jesse Allen, who's accountable for vision, strategy, and execution for the company's national field sales and wholesale originations business. Jesse, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the RMD Podcast. I appreciate having the chance to speak with you. Hey, Chris, it's a pleasure. I appreciate the invitation and I look forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to start off with your view of the general direction of the industry because as EVP of Alternative Distribution for the nation's leading reverse mortgage lender, I feel like you have a unique bird's eye view of the entire industry and how it's shaping up in the here and now and potentially for the future as well, considering that you oversee the uh, you know national field sales and wholesale origination. So, to begin a bit broadly, um, the market's getting bigger. The reverse mortgage market is getting big, bigger. Some recent data in indicates that one in five Americans will be seniors by 2030, which is less than 10 years from now. So to start off on a general foot of current industry health and what the future may hold,
2: what do you think that that growth means for the reverse mortgage industry? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, Chris, I think I'll answer this if it's okay by giving you a little bit of a of a before and after and what I see in the industry from the the first time I was in. So just for, you know, for for you and everyone listening, this is my second time around in the industry. I first joined back in 07, so I've been around the space for quite a while. Um And I've had, you know, 30 plus years in financial services. So at the time when I first joined, I was a 20-year consumer banker, business banker, investment and insurance sales, all in the institutional banks. And in 07, I jumped into reverse um, and and have been in and out of the industry a couple of times. Most recently when I joined AAG in 2016, it was my second stint in. So I'll answer your question through the lens of, You know my view before and how I what I thought was going on, and maybe today, Um, my second time back in, maybe if that makes sense. So you know, first I'll start with regulatory changes. One of the big changes that I saw as I was doing my due diligence um, in sixteen about getting about whether or not to get back into the industry was the consumer safeguards that came out around the product and the industry for consumers post financial crisis. I think while those were you know, sort of um, cause volume, the dip maybe a bit um, to me through a banker's lens, because I'm a banker by, by trade most of my career, they added a certain, they added important guardrails for the product and consumer safeguards. That's super important for, I think, the future growth of the product. So the first thing I'll throw out is I thought those were really important and transformational uh, for the industry in order to support that future growth. The other thing I would share and this gets to your question, is the boomer demographic itself has shifted um, from the first time I was in. As an example, coming out of what we've been through uh, with the pandemic over the last couple of years, this will resonate. I think customers today are more open to the use of technology as a great example. And the research also shows that folks are living longer, retiring at roughly the same age, so they have more years in retirement. And we know you know, the, the, the downward pressures and sort of the quote unquote retirement crisis, the things, the economic headwinds that fa- folks face as they live longer years in retirement. And that leads me to sort of the most material change that I see from before and, and now is the first time around in the business, the, the retirement crisis and the boomer wave were theoretical for a lot of folks, unless you were in the industry like we were right? And the wave is coming and we're going to ride the boomer wave and the volume. It's a great product and the product's going to continue to scale and serve more customers. Um, The big difference, what I see today is customers and families and communities are living the boomer wave. They're living the retirement crisis. And I'll give you a great example. When I got back in, obviously I was traveling around a lot and I was on a plane probably six months in And you know how that is. You meet people on a plane and you start talking about... Before I could talk about the business I was in, as fate would have it, I find out that the gentleman I was sitting next to, he was flying several states away to to spend the week with his in-laws because they were home and they were having some health issues and they were trying to figure out... You know, do we keep the house where his wife grew up in? When the family are states away, they have a hard time with transportation, health care. He was flying multiple states away. So when I talk about our customers today and their communities living the retirement crisis, if we engage people around us today, I think you'll find more stories like I ran into on the plane. And so that really makes, I think, people much more willing to listen and engage in a conversation around ideas that could empower greater choice in retirement. So to your question, we all know the demographic wave is getting bigger. And we think about it in terms of, think about 55 and up homeowners. So I'm a a Gen Xer, right? So I'm in that 50, I'm almost 54. I'm in that wave. So if you think about 55 and up, there are literally 78 million older homeowners today in that larger population. And to your point, it grows to nearly 150 million Over the next 30 years. So that's a, to your point around that, that addressable audience gets bigger. And the big thing today is that they're living these challenges that we believe housing wealth has a part of, has a hand in helping with every day. And that's certainly different than the first time I got in. So, and I think as we, as this conversation moves on, we'll talk a little bit about what I think we are doing and and what the industry can do to serve more of that growing, that growing audience.
1: When you talk about some of these changes that you've observed and you're communicating, let's say directly with some of AAG's loan officer corps, for instance, um, do you find that it's easy to to get those loan officers excited about what the prospects are for the industry? How is the dynamic between the company and its loan officers changed in that time?
2: That's, that's such a great question. Um, so I think it's easy to get People excited about serving the seventy eight million and up right and it's, and it's so in, the research is is um, is well established now around the retirement crisis and the role that housing wealth will play in that. so people have the backdrop of the mathematical research, and we have that in our industry. People understand, wow, that's a big population of people with a lot of housing wealth that I can help serve. So of course, it's very easy to get people excited about it. Um, What we then shift to talking about is trying to shift that excited loan officer away from product discussion. Because we were very excited about it back in 07, the wave, the equity, the product is great. We all believe that this is an elegant product for the senior homeowner, the reverse mortgages. So the excitement is the easy part, I think. I think it's then having the harder discussion around, okay, what kind of, are you bringing in the right loan officers who can not sell to product, but get to know the customer and sell to that identifiable need that the customer is having? And that's the hard part. And then wrapping them in an ecosystem. And I hope I can share more about what we've done here later, wrapping them in an ecosystem to help them have that that conversation with the customer. Because that's where the real work starts. Excited about the opportunity is easy. The question is, do you have the the appropriately sized and trained sales force to speak to enough of that addressable audience, and then have you wrap them in an ecosystem to help them do that effectively and maintain high service levels? Yeah,
1: absolutely. No, I can see how that would be a, a shifting. Uh, priority among some and, and considering all of the new realities that crop up that you've already alluded to. That's, it sounds like something that is a full-time job in and of itself to keep track of. <laughs> I'll put it that well, way. There's no doubt about no. that. Yes. Well, um, what challenges do you see uh, for the industry as it works to serve more of the expanded audience, but also to um, how do those challenges uh, translate into maybe operational difficulties on the company side? Yeah.
2: Great question. So I think it's a big question. So let me, let me take it in pieces maybe, Chris, if I can. And if, and if I, if I neglect to address a a section, you'll reel me in and let me (laughs) know. No problem. And we'll loop back to it. Um, So I think it's first, when you think about the challenges question, it starts with who your customers are for, for me, an observation, and this will seem intuitive to, I think our, your listeners, um, But how to operationalize around this idea is meaningful. And so one observation is as an industry, historically, the industry are our early adopters as an industry are the more needs based clients. They're using the product historically to age in place more effectively. And this means things like home modifications, paying off their existing mortgage and unsecured debt to free up cash flow. Um, And this group will clearly be a very important base of the industry because as as that population gets bigger, we'll have more of those customers to serve. And I think the industry does a great job of serving those early adopters, if you will, those more needs-based clients. Um, The challenge is that we're, and we're beginning to see some success with this. We're beginning to see examples of this working. The customer need, the customer, the number of customers starting to think more proactively and intentionally about the role housing wealth can play in retirement, that number's getting bigger. So now people are starting to think more critically about, wait a minute, I do have $9.2 trillion in housing wealth, and I have a retirement crisis to navigate. And so whether it's customers or centers of influence, financial advisors, wealth planners, estate planners, adult children, are beginning to explore um, conversations around um, some of the solutions. And again, all of this is supported and fueled, I think, by the academic research, think tank research, um, policy research. And so they're focused in on, hey, can I downsize my costs maybe and maybe buy my dream home in retirement? through a reverse mortgage for purchase. Can I use this strategy to maybe delay social security where if, if I'm healthy and that makes sense to me in my individual situation, can I use funds from a reverse to fund a Roth IRA conversion or something that's written about a lot in the industry? Can I use the Heckam of line of credit to mitigate sequence of return risk in years that are down? And so the, the challenges we have as an industry, a core, Group of customers who are who are we're really great at serving and who are super important to the growth of the industry and that population is getting bigger. The challenge is though that pr- that penetration into the next set of buyers who need education and motivation and process for how do I leverage my housing wealth because that next set of buyers where they may not be early adopters, the retirement crisis is just as real for them. They're working every day to solve those problems. And yet they may not be that needs-based client. So the question is, how do we sell, set ourselves up to speak with that audience, educate that, educate that audience and the folks who influence them, and then do a good job helping them operationalize around some of these new strategies? And we're beginning to see, every lender is beginning to see examples of that happening. The question is, what are the key challenges to scale that, right? Um, and so and and I can I'll pause here. Um, but I I can, you know, and I think there are kind of three big components to, to that puzzle, which we can talk about um, you know, when you're ready. Sure.
1: Yeah. So in terms of the challenges transitioning to uh to the operational side, uh, because mm-hmm. you address the the customers pretty extensively, but just in terms of uh some of the challenges that are presented to the industry from the people who work in it, how does AAG uh respond to those?
2: Yeah. So I'll start with so that's actually the third of the three challenges. So I, I think you have. Um, so I think you have some some short term challenges, right? And and I think your question was bigger than that. But you have short term things that the mortgage industry is grappling with today, like appraisal turn times is a great example. Okay, <laughs> um, and so you know, for example, that that is something that impacts everyone in mortgage lending, right? We know that demand is way up. Supply is the same as it's always been. And, and so you have an opportunity for a disrupted client experience, a disrupted loan officer experience. And I think like most lenders, you know, we have, the, for us internally, we've done common sense things like saying, okay, we can't control the external environment. But what can we do internally to mitigate the impact of that environment on our people and on our customers? And first of all, it's being in partner, you know, having the right AMC partners and having the right relationship on a B2B basis. And then there are multiple levers you can pull internally to mitigate uh, the impact of of something like that. That's an example that's real for people today um, on on operational execution, customer experience, which is what, what it's all about. So you have that sort of tactical short-term example. The bigger question for us, an opportunity, I think, um, for the industry is really continuing to evolve our capabilities as an industry to to build this culture of continuous improvement, not only in AAG, but as an industry. And, And here... Every industry has similar challenges. How do you evolve your culture? How do you evolve your capabilities? So as you as your as your strategic direction may shift and your customers shift, those things evolve with it, and you can better support execution right um, for your customer and on behalf of your people. So that evolution of culture and capabilities is not unique to the reverse industry. What I will say, and this is I think my third my one of three big challenges. Um, And I'm I'm talking about them out of order because you asked the question this way. So I think it's a great question for us. It's about, it's about the challenge of evolving our capabilities is more acute in this industry than other more mainstream industries. Take technology as an example. And I think, I think the pandemic really brought this to light for a lot of folks. So this should resonate in that. This has such, been such a niche industry, there hasn't been the robust investment in how do we use technology to both take out cost, improve manufacturing quality, and deliver a great loan officer and customer experience. That hasn't been, the, that that dialogue investment hasn't happened as vigorously in reverse as it has in traditional mortgages, as an example. And so I think the industry, there's more of that going on today than ever before, which is really exciting. And I think the industry will figure that out. But I do think that is one thing that we have to figure out. If we're really going to serve more of those 78 million potential buyers, if you think about 55 and up um, and and what they're growing to, by definition, that means we have to begin to solve some of these things where the industry has been a little bit um, late to the game just because of the nature of the history, the journey we've been on together. So I think that's – when you think about operationalizing the challenges – um beyond just loan manufacturing and fulfillment, I think that's a big strategic opportunity for the industry and i and I am very bullish that we'll figure it out um, because again, there's a lot of effort around it, more people talking about it than ever
1: before Sure well, I mean, you bring up the the strategic component, and I did want to ask you specifically about one of the recently announced strategic partnerships that a a g Unveiled. I mean, you guys have a series of strategic partnerships with builders, with associations, real estate companies. But the big one I wanted to discuss with you was the the new partnership with VGM Live at Home. Um, It seems like home modification is becoming more of a centralized topic at the industry level, or more of a topic of attention, I should say. How Mm -hmm. was that partnership developed and ultimately executed? And what did... AAG seeing it beforehand that indicated to you guys, wow, this
2: is something we should explore? Yeah, it's a great question. So I'll get to VGM in a second. Let me give you maybe a little color around around that. And, and it's a perfect question because it'll allow me to talk to, I think, the second of, of what I think our three main opportunities are as an industry. I covered one, which was the capabilities. Okay, the, And then the first question, Chris, which will lead me to that answer on VGM is, is if you really, as an industry, want to to really proactively, responsibly serve a bigger audience beyond the the early adopters, you need a sufficiently sized sales force to do that. It's just, I I believe. And historically, this has been a challenge for the industry the same way the, the capabilities has been a challenge because it's a niche industry. And so you only had so many Talented professionals, they were super committed and and, and, uh, passionate about the product and the work that we do. They are the legacy reverse mortgage specialist that's been in the industry that I've known now and been around for 14 years. Um, But the math doesn't work. You just don't have enough people to sell to 78 million potential buyers, right? You can't have that conversation with enough folks. And then you have low hanging fruit examples, like, for example, if you think about the 55 and up homeowners. Right? That population alone makes up 39% of all home purchases. So refi, and you, there's a lot of dialogue in the mortgage industry today about purchase, right? Because rates, what's going to happen with refi? So there's a, there's a, a parallel to that in the reverse space. Well, 39% of all home purchases are our, dam, our target demographic, 55 and up that we're talking about. It's a lot of folks to engage around just that one topic. Forget about the bigger, you know, retirement crisis topic. And so for us, the first challenge is how are you going to find a scalable, professional, appropriately focused sales team? And for us, that was by that our model addresses that by by offering more products. We, we diversified our product offering, started offering traditional mortgage products, right? Th- that's not our core product, but we're serving a core client. So for us, it starts with the client. And then we know that those clients are using traditional mortgage products. They're already coming to us. So we sort of listened to our customers there, diversified our products. And then the added benefit, Chris, is that opens up our talent buy box to who I can bring into the industry. So now we're able to bring in traditional mortgage loan officers who share our commitment to service and commitment to that 55 and up buyer. And we're able to plug them into our ecosystem to begin to add reverse as a product alternative and serve more of their customers. So if you solve your sizable Salesforce problem as your major problem, right? Do you have enough salespeople to really do a great job providing great service to folks? By the way, an interesting factoid there is, according to Stratmore, There are, I don't know, let's say hundreds of thousands of loan officers, depending on the research, maybe 600,000 loan officers in the traditional mortgage space, okay? Compare that to whatever your best guess is in the reverse mortgage space. It's much smaller than that, okay? Um, Of that, the average age, according to Stratmore, is 47. So when you talk about the 55 and up homeowner, and you talk about the retirement crisis and buying homes... There are a significant number of talented loan officers who are absolutely empathetic with our target customer segment. There are mortgage professionals who can identify with those challenges that their customers are going through, and they have the mortgage expertise to help them. So, so in order to talk about VGM, we first have to solve for there ever to be a VGM you have to first have the distribution to service any relationships or clients that come out of that. And so that's why I always, it always starts with, can you grow a sizable and professional sales team? You take these new entrants to the industry and you add them to the best and brightest reverse mortgage specialists that the industry already has and that AAG already has and that my field sales group already has. And now you have a sizable growing sales force who can really do a great job serving more borrowers. So now the next question, which gets me to VGM, Chris is, okay, so you have a a target audience. You have now a, a way to grow a sales team that can engage in responsible mortgage lending because they can identify, they have empathy, they can identify with the customer segment because many of them are in the customer segment. Now the question is, how do you wrap them in an ecosystem? How do you connect them in with those potential buyers? Now, if you're a big bank where I spent 20 years of my career, maybe more than that, if I, if I add the B of A piece in, you know, um, if you think about the institutional platforms, well, this is not a problem at all. They have hundreds of thousands, millions of customers. And so they can easily plug their salespeople in. If you think about the monoline mortgage company, if you think about even a more difficult challenge, the reverse mortgage industry and you think about okay i've solved my salesperson problem how do i now connect them into potential buyers so you can do what we do very well and what the industry does a lot of direct to consumer marketing go find those needs based clients spin the marketing the messaging and educate and bring them to you in a responsible way and i think the industry does a great job there but the uh, the bigger piece which leads to VGM strategically is is this is where I've leveraged sort of my 34 years in financial services was really useful. And honestly, being away from the industry and coming back in was a gift because I saw opportunities that I didn't see the same way before. We learn, right, as we as we evolve. Hopefully we have this growth mindset as an industry as well. And what we did, Chris, to answer the question which led to VGM, we borrowed best practices from other industries, from the investment industry, the insurance industry, the banking industry, traditional mortgage lending, And so we've built a team of business development specialists that we have aligned to different strategic segments. So think about the realtor segment, builder segment, wealth management, financial advisors. These are things, and we're not the only lender with this playbook in the investment space, uh, in the reverse mortgage space, Um, but we've borrowed, these are proven strategies that other financial services industry have used. We've taken them in a systemic way. And we've tried to stand them up within our space against our client segment in order to and and those centers of influence and so our most mature example of this is the work we do with uh, financial advisors where we have a team of business development folks who used to be financial planners and ran their own shops and and now they're helping us do a better job reaching that audience and they extend our brand reach they help our loan officers extend their reach and really do a more effective job building relationships with advisors. That's our most mature initiative. It drives 25% of my self-gen business over the last three years. And we're still in many ways doing hand-to-hand combat. We don't have all of the technology resources and back to that capability discussion, but it drives 25% of our self-gen business today. And so we think there's more growth there as we continue to evolve. And then you have examples like VGM where We have a like-minded partner, VGM Live at Home, where they're national and in scope. They're a reputable brand, and they're at work hard every day helping our addressable audience, our same customer segment, age in place through home modifications. So you think about a simple factoid that that we all know in the industry that less than 4%, it's 3.8%. Based on a 2016 survey, which I'm sure we can, we can give you, you've probably seen it, of the homes in the country are set up for even limited to support even limited mobility as, as people age. And so if you have this problem where people do want to age in place, we know we get better outcomes when folks age in place, right? The research shows you medical outcomes, health outcomes, longevity, liquidity, but your home is not set up that way. That's a very practical problem. And so what VGM Live at Home does is they have a network of of business partners who are at work every day trying to help seniors and families solve that problem. And so it came about because we were looking for like-minded partners who, who share a desire to do business with that addressable audience. And we believe can help through partnerships. And this happens to be a sponsorship where we sponsor them. So we get to educate their members. It's all about education. This comes from my banker days. I believe, and we believe that the crisis, the retirement crisis is real. The numbers are real. And if we do a great job educating stakeholders and including partners like VGM and their clients, and we give them very professional salespeople through a multitude of touch points that eventually they'll be motivated to take action. So that's the why behind a VGM. We're excited. It's brand new. We recently announced it. We were just the only lender at their big national conference with all of their participants over the last week. My team came back so excited about the level of excitement because they get to serve more of their customers. And the math is sort of self-evident on why the customer wins, all of the stakeholders win. Um, So again, we don't know what this will contribute. But we know that there are a lot of these sort of partnerships out there that if you have, the good, if you have good B2B relationships and you're aligned as, as B2B partners around the customer for the right reasons, and then you execute well locally on the ground through a keen focus on consistent service delivery, that's what VGM cares about. When I refer a customer to AAG, whether it's California or New York, well, that customer experience be consistent. And we feel confident that our answer to that can be yes. And I have a lot of folks on my team, including myself, who've grown up in those sort of referral models. And so we've been able to to bring that to bear on our in our current business model. Um, And we're very excited about that. So I appreciate you asking. Um, Too new to call the ball (laughs) on on outcomes and and customer serve, but ask me again in six months or a year. And I think we'll have a great story there because the opportunity is very intuitive to all of the players.
1: And uh, we're very excited about that. Sure. Yeah, of course. And I I appreciate the explanation and the context that kind of leads up to the partnership. But I did want to ask you, it seems like becoming involved with home improvement and uh, specifically kind of retrofitting a house to accommodate the changing needs that people have as they age is becoming more of an industry-wide priority, not just AAG. Uh, Other lenders, one of your competitors, for instance, has an entire home improvement vertical that their parent company is launching alongside the reverse mortgage specific vertical. So they're taking different approaches to the incorporation of home modification into the reverse mortgage category. Uh, Speaking just in general about that trend, is this something that you're happy to see in general? Uh, Do you think that AAG is positioned to answer this need? Uh, differently than the approaches taken by competitors. I know that in terms of like television advertising, for instance, you have loan officers at a bunch of companies who really look to AAG uh, in terms of a a leadership position, because you guys are so visible. Um, Is it, does the same kind of principle apply here? Are you happy to see that this is something that is getting attention beyond just AAG?
2: Such a great question, Chris. Um, the answer the short answer is, I'm ecstatic, I love it. um and I think it's again, you know it's again what what I always encourage my and I do have this, I have a, I have folks that come to me. I remember when that transaction hit the airwaves, and I get senior sales leaders and loan officers coming, oh, you know this is this is gonna kill my business, <laughs> so why aren't we doing this? And so I think as an industry, and I have this conversation with them, and this is easy to say here, it's hard. Cultural change as an industry. It's absolutely great beyond any shadow of the doubt for all of those customers and for everyone in the industry because it helps this industry shift from a fixed mindset play not to lose. So if you're a, a small niche industry, and again, I would have never in a million years, my first time around in the industry, Chris, 14 years ago, had this observation or opinion. I only have it now because I was in it. I have a lot of great people and passion for the customers and the product and the business. I left it. I came back in and and there were certain things that just over time, you know, aha moments I had. And this is one of them. As an industry, I think we too often, we're doing so much better than ever before, have a fixed mindset, play play not to lose. Hey, there are 40,000 Heckam customers to serve as an industry, 40,000. Out of, out of, if I just talk about 65 and up boomers, last year in 2020, 30 million boomer homeowners who the research said needed our service and qualified, we served 40,000 as an industry. So when you think about that, but if there's only 40,000, I think over time it builds unhealthy patterns, right? Oh, if you get a Heckam customer, I can't get one. I, you win, I lose. And so this fixed mindset, and there's a broad observation okay about a a cultural dynamic that in one person's opinion i experienced okay coming back in and so you pivot that and turn it on its head and be like okay if you're really focused in on the 30 million which is the 65 and up population right because i know i've been talking about 78 million i'm very data driven i like to be well researched (laughs) so um i'm being very precise with my numbers because it's sourced um or if you talk about the 78 million That's a growth mindset. And so we have to choose every day, which do we want to have? Which serves the clients better? What serves the industry better? I think it's the growth mindset. So I love that people are taking a different approach to the same problem. The macro problem is millions of older homeowners and their families want to age in place. Their homes aren't set up for this. How do we solve that problem? And I think there are multiple answers to that. And and the dialogue itself around that little three point eight percent stat and how different what it means to humans and different lenders and different partners can approach it in different ways that over time compounds on itself like compounding interest And I think is super important and healthy for the industry and and I'll I'll bring uh, here's another analogy I'll give you I, I, I'm asked all the time by our loan officers are oh, we going to have our own proprietary product. Right? Now, I, I can't go in publicly on too much detail there, but here's what, here's the answer I give. Today, what's important to me is we have a great product for our customers and we have a great product for our loan officers. And so everyone in the industry knows that we, we distribute FAR's proprietary product. right? And that's been great for us and it's a great partnership. And I still get asked the questions by loan officers. right? And I think this whole modification question has an analogy, which is, to the proprietary question. I think history would tell us there are multiple ways to win. And at the end of the day, the customer and the industry ultimately wins. Proprietary is a great example. At Countrywide, which I started, which later became B of A, and I ran the B of A platform and we were the second largest lender in the matter of, I don't know, three years. We went from startup to the second largest lender in the space. And you know, we had 400 loan offices around the country and half our business was retail and half were, uh, was wholesale. And we had our own proprietary product at the time, started a countrywide, B of A kept it. And it was great. And it was a great strategy. Well, the number one leader, Wells Fargo, who was the early adopter in the industry for years, sold another lender's product, proprietary product. They never had their own proprietary product, and yet they dominated the industry. So I bring that example up to say, hey, I think the, it's about growth mindset. I think there are multiple ways to win. Just be committed to your particular way. Do it really well. Stay focused in on the customer. I think that applies to proprietary, and I think that applies to home modification space. And I think it's all great for the industry and our customers. Excellent.
1: Yeah. That's a, you actually got ahead of one of my questions. I was going to ask you specifically about the proprietary side of things. So it's, uh, okay, <laughs> you, good. You, I think you and I are on the same wavelength there a little bit, you know, which is, which is always good. You ask, um, but I'll, I'll you attribute also, it to your questions. You're asking great <laughs> questions. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, I did want to ask you, uh, since, since you got the proprietary question kind of out of the way, uh, you, we started the conversation by talking about the 55 and up demographic as well. And, uh, another development from a competitor specifically True. on the proprietary side is that they are going to be offering their product, uh, starting at age 55, which actually, uh, aligns, um, the reverse mortgage offering qualifying age, uh, with the commensurate products that you see in places like Canada and the United Kingdom. Um, so as someone who has a very high level view of the industry as a whole, and as someone who is a uh, part of that generational cohort, you probably have some unique perspective there. Is this where you think the industry should go? Is that something that has garnered the attention of AAG at all?
2: Yes. And yes. Um, you know, my, my opinion and uh, and is, Um, that's all healthy for the, for the, for the, for the industry. And it's a natural organic evolution. And again, I, we're all a product of our environment. So I'm a product of, I grew up in institutional banks of my 34 years, you know, back out 11 where five have been with AAG and I spent six years with a regional bank when I was a banker. But most of it has been with the big institutional banks. And there it's all about, Hey, we have this, this customer base that we serve and how do we distribute more product to more of those customers right that's the world i grew up in and there it's a very commoditized effort in my view which is part of the reason i'm not in that space anymore here the the same ch- the opportunity the challenge for us to grow and serve more is how do we how do we operationalize around some of the core tenets of what they are, those institutional places do organically well, which is how do we think about our customer segment differently in a more expansive way? And then how do we really just, um, instead of starting with product, this is where we started our conversation. We began the conversation, and, and I think is a great way to kind of anchor it. We tend to think about product As a space and a lot of, and by the way, we're not the only industry that does this. So this will sound overly critical because I'm, I'm critical of me myself. (laughs) I'm in the industry. I'm a part of this. Okay. Um, we focus about product because it is an awesome, elegant product for the 62 and over buyer. It just really is. And we've, when I came into the space the first time, it was all about product. And, and just naturally adoption will happen because the product's great. Well, what we've learned, and by the way, what all of the marketing research will tell you and all of the science tells you um, is, and our experience is that, hey, product's great. We served 40,000 af- out of 30 million potential buyers last year in 2020, okay? And that's 65 and up buyers, by the way. So product alone will not get it. It's all these other things we've been talking about. And, and it's also thinking differently about who do we what problem are we solving? Well, we're solving the retirement crisis, a better quality of life in retirement. And how do we help people access a significant portion of their wealth as a part of that solution? And so then you naturally expand your customer focus to say, okay, who's beginning to talk about this problem? Who's beginning to think about 55 and up? I'm 53. I have kids in college. I have aging parents. I'm the sandwich generation. I'm absolutely thinking about my housing wealth. And I need an AAG, I need a person to help me guide, help, think, help me think through and help my financial advisor think through what, what role does housing wealth have in that long game for me over the next 10, 12 years? So I think that's a natural uh, evolution for the industry. I think it's healthy because it starts the housing wealth discussion sooner. And now maybe, maybe I do... I don't do a traditional Heckam reverse mortgage at 55, obviously. I may not even do a reverse mortgage at 55 or 56. I might do a traditional mortgage cash out refi, but I'm having the conversation. I'm thinking differently about my housing wealth. I'm building trust with a brand that's in the space. And then now I'm not a cold buyer at 62. I'm warmed up. If we do a great job with customer service and we stay authentic to the customer's problem, And in how we engage the client and we give them a great experience. This is evolutionary and transformational all at the same time for the industry. So I'm super excited about that. As a person who's got a long-term view on this industry, I think those, I think a combination of all of these things we see happening around us, borrowing from other countries and what we see in the home equity access space by way of age and product, focusing in on home modifications, whether it's through partnership or dedicated vertical. All of these things are super exciting to me because it puts the industry in a much stronger place to have a more robust discussion with more people who need the help. And it allows us to over time, I believe, to serve more of those customers in a good way. Excellent. Great. Well, we're we're running short on time. I did have one
1: more question that I wanted to ask you. That I don't want to end on a down note, but I also feel like uh, it's something that uh, you might have some perspective on. And that's just uh, okay. that you know, in August we saw uh, reverse mortgage volume dip for the for the first time in double digits in several months. Uh, we we saw a drop of fourteen percent in in overall Heckam endorsements, and uh, the first time that volume has not reached four thousand units in a month uh, since late last year. Uh, so I, I guess I'm just curious if uh, if you see that as like a bump in the road, what's the general attitude from the industry leader when it comes to data? That indicates that volume has been reduced a little bit, and uh, and where do we go from
2: here? That's such a great question. Um, and it won't be an, it won't be a, a, a how'd you say? We don't want to end on a negative note, right? <laughs> you're 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 good. I think you're compelled to ask that question, so I am okay right. with it. So I'm glad we're talking about the month over month HECM endorsements. I was going to ask you if that's what you meant. I mean, listen, here's here's the view. So. I ran it. I thought it was 10%, maybe it's 14, doesn't really matter, right? The month over month dip in endorsements. Um and in fact, if you look at the top 5 lenders, and we're in that mix, only one of the top 5 were up month over month. I will not name them. There's a flu. <laughs> um but but the top 5 are actually down more than the industry overall month over month. So, you know, my my view on that is is that we all know, Heckam endorsement flows. You know, there, there, there are a lot of things that impact endorsement counts versus originations and funded volume. Right? There's math and lag time, and different lenders have have you know packaging and and um, and uh, shipping and endorsing delays along the way. So I'm not sure. Number one, is it indicative of just the process of endorsements, or is it indicative of originations and fundings? But the bigger picture. Chris, is that you heard from this conversation, we are focused on the long haul. And so to me, a month over month blip, hmm, I, I, it, I notice it, you pay attention to it, you don't want to string a bunch of them together, but it, it's, it's inconsequential to me in the bigger picture. When you think about AAG, um, as I think about it now, and I wish I'd have thought about this before because I'd have had precise numbers. Before, oh yeah, that's but all right. E- each, each of our sales channels are dominant players in their respective spaces. So each of so we have three core sales channels, direct-to-consumer, which everyone knows dominates the retail space. That's our call center, right? The most mature of our channels, and it, it's a machine. And they do a great job servicing clients and, and pushing back on the theory that you can't sell this product through the phone, which is what I heard my first time around 14 years ago in this industry, okay? So they dominate the retail space. And then my field sales channel as a standalone retail entity has gone from nowhere to we're probably the number third, we're number four player in retail. And number one is the call center. And then, and then you have two and three and then us. And so we're top four lender, the distributed retail group, my field sales group, all by ourselves as a standalone. And the same is true of wholesale is in the number three or four spot. So if you think about AAG, not only do we have considerable market share, we have a very long term view on the customer and providing great service to our loan officers and our customers and so a month over month month blip for us is sort of just that each of our channels are top four players and so we're committed to the long game and so we tend to focus less internally on on going long on those uh month over month uh changes in 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 endorsements as an example sure yeah of course well that fa- Hopefully that's a fair answer. Yeah, I your, think so. Uh,
1: I mean, hey, I'm 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 not gonna try and uh, define for you what you think is is the best way to address that. But I think you bring up a compelling point in terms of. Uh, trying to be focused on the bigger picture and, and trying to have that look at the long game. I think, uh, I think there's a fair amount of people in the industry that share that perspective, but I couldn't uh, avoid asking you about it. in this instance. fair enough.
2: I I wanted to do that.
1: Well, Jesse, uh, this has been a really robust discussion. I hope you've uh, enjoyed being a part of the RMD podcast and thank you for taking the time. And hopefully we can have you on again soon.
2: I would love it. It's truly a privilege to be able to talk with you. I love the questions and the time you spent um, talking through it. And I would love to join you again in the future. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jesse. You take care. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Now more than ever, the housing industry is looking to its leaders for answers. That's why each week, the Housing News Podcast invites a new mortgage, fintech, a real estate executive to the show to provide its listeners with more perspective on the announcements and news stories crossing Housing Wire's news desk. Hosted by Sarah Wheeler and produced by Elcina Lloyd, the Housing News Podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. Thank you for listening to this episode of the RMD podcast. Make sure to tune in next month for another amazing episode. Until then, check out some of our past episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back here next month.